My name is Andrea T. Evanson, and welcome to Peace and Gender, a podcast about the people behind the research on gender, peace, and security. In this podcast series, I'm going to meet up with new professors and academics coming from all around the world who specialize in gender, peace, and security. In this podcast, I'm trying to not only get a better understanding of the studies, but also the people behind the papers and research. Who are they? Why do they research these issues? And most importantly, what are the issues regarding gender, peace and security that we actually need to talk about today? In this episode, you will meet Karen Agisem. Karen is a professor in political science at Lund University in Sweden. In this episode, Karen's going to talk about the underrepresentation of women in diplomacy and why this is a problem. But Karen also talks about a topic that I myself had never considered, which is how difficult it can be for LGBT people in diplomacy. But more on that later. So to begin with, when did Karen start studying gender, peace and conflict? So my area of interest in generally like peace and conflict has been all my career, including also as an undergraduate and a postgraduate. So the Peace and conflict has been an area which I find extremely interesting uh, because it's also interdisciplinary uh, and it provides lots of opportunity to do lots of interesting stuff in academia. So I've never left that area. Then I've worked uh, also for a very long time on the Middle East uh, and particularly on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And when it comes to uh, gender, it's something that... I already, uh, as a PhD candidate, together with some other of my uh, colleagues, uh, we got together in the 1990s, in the end of the 1990s, and had a big conference on feminist perspective in international relations, which at the time uh, was considered a very new area. Uh, So we had a great conference and a great launch at Lund University, So that also goes a long way back in time. Like many other professors and people, Karen has a life project within her academic world. A specific academic curiosity, as she calls it, or an issue that she wants to explore. My sort of curiosity, academic curiosity, has always been driven by uh, a search for how we can sort of enhance a peaceful world order. And that's actually one reason why I uh, did uh, get uh, and was promoted to the Pufendorf Chair Professor because I have been working consistently in all my work, even though it has been very diverse and diverse empirical domains and also theoretically, it has always had as an overarching quest of how we can advance a more peaceful world order. One of Karen's most recent books is Gendering Diplomacy and International Negotiation. There is so few studies in the field of diplomacy and uh, I put together a couple of years ago uh, two panels at one of the big international conferences for international studies uh, on diplomacy together with Anne Towns who's a professor at Gothenburg University. So we had these two panels and uh, very exciting discussions and interesting papers 
And from there, we decided that we wanted to pull together these papers into a book because to make one step further to create a more robust theoretical field uh, and also for empirical studies. So having a first sort of take on that. Karen's book addresses the critical question of where are the women in contemporary diplomacy and international negotiation? Well, my key interest in diplomacy is related to peace and conflict. And that's why I have studied uh, and spent lots of time on peace negotiations, which are so critically important in the transition between war and peace. And this is most of the time conducted by men only. And I find this very troubling. Can you tell me a bit about the issue about the lack of women and the over-representation uh, of men in diplomacy? Well, if you have a an institution as diplomacy where 85% of them are men, uh, there is an issue to be dealt with and needs to be addressed. Uh, and um, so that's sort of a starting point to problematize this very uh, male institution and why that is the case. So, and you can do that through various approaches, and that's what we try to show in the book. So, obviously, there have been a number of bans in place, uh, excluding formerly women from participating in diplomacy. But as we point out, this is a relatively new uh, phenomenon in the sense that they were introduced uh, as part of the professionalization of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the Uh, 19th century and uh, lifted first in the beginning of the 20th century but was still in place when it came to marriage ban which was first lifted in the 60s and the 70s so it's actually only in the last few decades that women have been able fully to participate and make careers as diplomats. The history of women in diplomacy is more complex than one might think. So what's interesting when to take a more historical perspective, and that's why we argue in the book also, that we need to, to analyze uh, and study uh, macro history of specific periods of time, because we can see that exclusion and inclusion of women fluctuates over time. And what we show, and by uh, looking and digging deeper into diplomatic history, is that actually women during the 16th, 17th century, 18th century, did take a very active part, especially on the cases that uh, we have on European history, where women could make use of the fact that the boundaries between formal and informal institutions were much more fluid. And that created lots of opportunities for women to take part. Uh, of course, we are then talking about elite women, uh, women married to an ambassador, uh, connected to the royal court. But these were women with very interesting stories, highly skilled, who played critical role both in negotiations, facilitating communication, building trust, uh, and so on. So... This is sort of adding new uh, critical insights, I would say, to to history. 
And also, like, there were different concepts, like Cynthia Enloe has uh, discussed the role of the diplomatic wife, which is more recent. But if we go back in time, another very interesting sort of arena or, or uh, forum where diplomats often made the critical decision was in the saloon. And in the saloon, these were hosted and often orchestrated uh, by women who then, again, were the, you could say, playing role as mediators, negotiators, communicators, the key critical functions of diplomacy. So as I mentioned earlier, Karen does not only focus on women being underrepresented in contemporary diplomacy. So first of all, when it comes to not only women, but also the LGBT uh, people, uh, first of all, we also need to uh, recognize and probing, again, the barriers that are at play here and how these uh, people may find it difficult to operate in a very traditional uh, masculine institution as diplomacy. So the question is to what extent diplomacy as an institution constrain and enable actions for women, for LGBT uh, people, uh, transgender. And uh, again, it's something we need to probe and to analyze and to unpack. Again, to in the quest of transforming diplomacy in the sense of becoming more inclusive and open. What is interesting is, like again, if we take this historical perspective and look back in time, it's very interesting to find cases of transgender uh, who act as diplomats, like what we have a case in the 17th century of uh, a man, uh, born as a man, but and becoming a diplomat, but always dressed as a woman and identifying as a woman until he died. So um, there are many, many more cases that we can look for and study and learn and understand also how gender uh, categories are fluid at times in specific historical periods of time and others where it's much, much more of policing and controlling boundaries. As Karen writes in her book, women now make up just 15% of the top diplomatic positions worldwide. And while Nordic countries stand out with an average of 35% female ambassadors, the numbers are still pretty low. Karen argues that the more gender equal a country is, the more likely they are to appoint female ambassadors. But how does it make a difference to have more women in diplomacy? We need much more studies on the effects of the increasing number of women that we now see women women participating in diplomacy. Uh, what are the effects? 
to what extent do women have to adjust to the traditional scripts of diplomacy? Are they able to bring forth new issues? Are they able to promote specific women issues? Uh, all these questions need to be discussed more thoroughly. And uh, so there's not a, a clear-cut answer to that question. And it's too naive and too simplistic by stating, as some policymakers at times are doing, saying that adding more women uh, by itself creates gender, uh, gender equality. Because that's, that's not always correlates. Uh, but of course, there's a number of different school of thoughts here. There's some who would say that if you reach a critical mass, things changes. So there are different schools of thoughts on this. And we have seen this, for instance, very interesting by other gender scholars on, on uh, domestic politics and national institutions, but very few studies when it comes to the field of diplomacy. So that's why we hope to see many, many more studies unpacking this assumption that is still there in the contemporary international policy discourse. So first of all, when it comes to not only women, but also the LGBT uh, people, uh, first of all, we also need to uh, recognize and probing, again, the barriers that are at play here and how these... Uh, people may find it difficult to operate in a very traditional uh, masculine institution as diplomacy. So the question is to what extent diplomacy as an institution constrain and enable actions for women, for LGBT uh, people, uh, transgender, and uh, again, it's something we need to probe and to analyze and to unpack. That was Karen Agastam. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Peace and Gender. My name is Andrea T. Evanson, and this podcast was produced for Monash Gender Peace and Security and Mojo News.